Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I am uh, back in Denver, Colorado. Some of you may know that I've been traveling. Haven't released the podcast in a little bit. I think I, the last one I released was when I was in New York. Went to New York to visit my family. Haven't seen them since... December 2019, when I visited them for Christmas. Shortly after, we all know what happened. And uh, people weren't really moving about too much. But uh, my family felt that it was they were comfortable and it was a good time. And my parents are vaccinated and they felt good about it. And they said, come on and, and visit. And uh, so I came and, and saw them. And, and it was... Uh, a little weird at first, kind of surreal, being back in, in my parents' house, my childhood home, the, the house I grew up in, and uh, staying in a, a twin-sized bed in my childhood room. <laughs> nothing, uh, nothing like going to sleep on a twin-sized bed as a full-grown man. But, uh, but actually, uh, it made it work. I don't know why they call it twin. Why do they call it a twin size bed? It makes me think of the movie Twins with Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Maybe it's like, yeah, it's about the size. I'm a little bit taller than Danny DeVito, I think. So <laughs> not quite Arnold Schwarzenegger. I might have to revisit that movie. I don't remember too much about it. I think he like scams him or something. I don't know. Uh, then there was another one. Wasn't there another one with Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger Jr. Where like Arnold Schwarzenegger gets pregnant. Danny DeVito is like a, I don't know. I have no idea. Is, is this true? Is this one of those Mandela things? I don't know. But uh, yeah, that was, that was really ahead of its time. If, uh, if that was the case, Arnold Schwarzenegger was a, uh, a birthing person in that, in that film. Junior. Yeah. Well, yeah, uh, I, I went there and, uh, and it was definitely a little weird at first. Um, and then I kind of settled in. I think that I always remember that, that Ram Dass quote where he's like, you think you're enlightened? Let me see if I could do a Ram Dass impression. It was a young Ram Dass when he was, when he was still Richard Alpert. He kind of had like a little bit of a Boston twang. Well, I was, I was just so neurotic. I, the first time I'm actually trying this is, is right here. This is what this show is all about. Me trying new things. Live, unedited. You know you want to you want to be enlightened, but spend a weekend with your, with your parents. See how enlightened you are then. <laughs> it wasn't that hard. It wasn't that much of an accent, but it was. You know, I I couldn't for the life of me. Maharaj used to say Ramdas, Ramdas, Ramdas. But yeah, go. You think you're so enlightened to go spend a weekend with your family, or with your parents, or something like that. It's just so, it's so funny. I mean, especially being, being back, I think this was the longest period of time that I hadn't seen them in person. So it was about a year and a half. 
Uh, and, you know, it could be different maybe for, for other people if your parents ha- had moved and gotten a new home. But I went back to the house that I grew up in. And uh, I think many times in the past when I had visited my folks and, and uh, came to town, came back to New York, even when I was living in New York City, you know, come up and see them and stuff. I would make plans with friends and and do all kinds of things. And I actually didn't go to New York City. They lived just about 45 minutes outside of the city. And uh, I didn't go. I, I don't, I just didn't uh, have the urge to go in. Uh, I got hit with uh, some crazy allergies. So I was pretty out of it. The climate there is completely different than the one that, that I've been used to in Colorado. And right. And everyone was saying it was a very heavy allergy time of the year. And and I already am prone to getting pretty fucked up from, from allergies. So I was kind of incapacitated for a couple of days. I, I was like, Oh shit, do I have the, the vid? And then I was like, no, no, this is, uh, allergies. I was all stuffy and you know, just lethargic allergy type stuff, pollen, a lot of pollen in the air. Uh, I don't know if that serves a a purpose in the ecosystem for anything. Wait, it totally does. (laughs) The hell am I talking about? (laughs) That's right, folks. This is the show where dumb things are said and immediately corrected. Um, (laughs) it doesn't serve a purpose, but yeah, I, uh, I, I, I got, uh, I got pretty, pretty hit with, uh, with allergies. And so I was like, just chilling for a little bit. I was taking like Zyrtec or something. I haven't taken, I don't really take pills. I don't take Tylenol or Advil or allergy. I don't take anything. Um, so it was interesting, but it was interesting being back with my folks in their house in the house that I grew up in, staying in my childhood room, sleeping in a twin-size bed, and uh, my Derek Jeter poster up on the wall and everything. And um, yeah, it was, it's just a really interesting thing when you're spending time with your parents as, as a grown adult in your 30s and you know, I was sort of just like, uh, taking in their sort of like behavior, their daily routines, their hab, how they live, what they do. And I, I forgot there's like a part of me that completely forgot that I live such an unconventional lifestyle compared to them. And, you know, probably most people, you know, I spend my days going to ketamine clinics and microdosing and all, you know, all these kinds of things. And, and, and they're not, you know, really doing that. Although I will say that, uh, my father, uh, was asking me some questions about psilocybin. He's been on antidepressants, uh, for, you know, like a Zoloft kind of thing for, I want to say maybe about a decade, eight years, maybe something like that, eight to 10. And I had been, I have been talking to them about mushrooms, psychedelics, K2, 
cannabis for a long time. I'd say probably about the same amount of time. Sending articles, videos. Um, you know, I remember I sent my mom a video of a woman uh, about her age who participated in the Johns Hopkins psilocybin research study. And look, mom, look, this can be really beneficial. You know, check it out. Check it out. Someone communicating something that looks like you and talks like you. Yeah, here, look, it's like one of your peers, right? And which I think was one of the benefits of Michael Pollan. I have some issues with Michael Pollan, but hey, Pollan, we're back to Pollan. So yeah, exactly what I'm saying. What's the benefit of pollen? Well, some issues, but one of the benefits has been the uh, interest among boomers, I guess, right? Older people, older folks, and you know maybe grandmas and grandpas uh, into psychedelics, which is a good thing. And so, and I think that somebody who's like a New York Times best-selling author, you know, writes about plants, the omnivore's dilemma, the botany of desire, these kinds of things, that there was a certain kind of credibility and legitimacy that was given to it, uh, as well as, you know, prestigious universities like Johns Hopkins and, and other places. Um, so I had been sort of talking to my dad about, hey, look, you know, you're supposed to use this antidepressant medication prescribed by your doctor as as a temporary thing. You're supposed to be kind of weaning off of this. And uh, I suppose it, it sort of was, it's an important thing for me because I, I, I want to see them healthy and well. I mean, I'm not like a total picture of health, but, but I think that uh, it was important to me. I, I, I tend to see that they have a similar attitude that I would say that most people do or the average American does, which is, you know, there's a, there's a problem, there's an issue. You go to a doctor, you get a pill, you get a prescription, you know, you, you, you cover it up, you put a bandaid on the bullet wound. You don't get to the actual real root cause, which is why I'm such a, a fan of psychedelics because it does require your participation in your work, but it, you are confronted with the undeniable reality of every single kind of choice and decision and behavior that you're doing. And when things are off, that's when it can be very challenging and scary at times for people, because it's like, look, you're off. You're, and and we're going to show you, you know, what's going on with you. And it's going to, it's going to be, it could be challenging. Right. And then you have the choice to improve that, fix that, work on that, or ignore that. Um, but it's obviously very beneficial to work on it, right? Because if you know what's going on and you can see it and you can experience it in a sort of total sensory experience that psilocybin mushrooms can provide, for example, that then you can have a clear picture you know, I think Viktor Frankl said in Man's Search for Meaning, once you have a clear picture of what ails you, it no, no longer holds power over you. Uh, and um, so it, it was nice that they were asking me about eh, what's going on, psilocybin, so what is it like? What's the experience like? How long is it? Do you have someone sit with you? What do they do? What do you do? 
you know, uh, psychedelic naive questions, of course, but it was great to sit there and, and hold that space for them and, and talk for the brief period of time that we did. And then my dad sent me an article like later on, like, Hey, New York times, psilocybin mushrooms could be the, uh, you know, new studies. And, you know, they used to be, see these studies, these articles come out a lot. It's like, yeah. And I think he wrote something like what you've been saying. And I was like, yeah, what I've been saying. So the point of me saying this is that, you know, initially, I think in my early years of psychedelics, I sort of became like a zealot, you know, like a fundamentalist, almost like you got to take these. These are great. Like you, they're going to change you. Then you realize like, oh, that's just OK. That was like a little phase that I went through because, you know, I, I had such a positive experience. And I just I, there's this feeling that once you figure something out that, oh, all I have to do is tell other people and they're going to get it, too. But I remember my uh, one of my first jobs, my uh, I think it was in my sales job or marketing job, my boss said to me, like, people need to hear things seven different times in seven different ways through seven different forms in order to really truly internalize it and want to know for themselves to make the decision that comes from them within. Because that's really, those are always the best decisions. You don't want to pressure people into things. You want people to have as much information as they possibly can and then weigh it and, you know, within themselves and say, hey, does that sit right? And then be like, you know what? I think that this is, you know, they, people get a feeling one day or a thought like, you know, I think this is going to be good for me. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll check into that a little bit more. You know, you hear it in the New York Times, you hear it on the radio, you hear it on the news, you hear it from your son, you hear it from your, you know, your sister, your mother, whoever, you just keep hearing about it. And I think that's a good way. So the point is that uh, keep telling people about the benefits, keep telling people about the challenges, keep telling people about the experiences that you're having, what it's done for you, how it's helped you, uh, and, uh, and what the research is and what the studies are showing, right? And I think it always helps to present people with information that's speaking in the same language that they are comfortable with and they're used to, right? So if somebody in your family is a veteran or in the military or, you know, something like that, you can, you can share some of the studies that you're doing, say, for example, maps with MDMA, right? For veterans with PTSD. Hey, check this out. This is someone like you. And they're having great success with this. Check it out. Have a look. See if it see what you think about it. You know, let them come to you. Follow up with them. So what would you think of that thing I sent you? Right? I think that is kind of the best way and not to be overbearing and not to, you know, give them an ear beating or you know, keep send overwhelm them with stuff, but just kind of sprinkle it in every now and then. And uh I think that that's a good way to um, help spread the message and and help uh, you know turn more people on to the various different benefits that psychedelics can provide. Um, and as I said as well, you know, truthfully too, without hiding anything, you know, it'd be like, yeah, you know, sometimes it can be really challenging. You know, this is the proper way that you want to do it. You know, I, I talked to so many people who uh still have bad like uh, a negative view who you would think that wouldn't have one you know say for example 
dead deadheads or fish people or whatever you know people that had maybe just done a lot of partying and and uh and taking a lot of psychedelics and oh man that stuff will really wreck your brain that'll fry your brain that'll that'll oh man i doesn't that, that uh, lsd like get trapped in your spine and you could have a flashback or doesn't mdma like burn holes in your brains man that hey man that was for me when i was in college hey man i did a lot of that stuff but not anymore it's like yeah i mean you know if you if, if you're talking to somebody about like construction or something and they were like, yeah, I used to work in construction, but you know, it was like a first job at a college. I didn't really know anything, man. I, you know, I beat myself up a bunch of times. I, you know, I kept hammering nails in my hands. I get bloody all the time. I almost sawed my finger off. Yeah, it's like, well, yeah, you weren't really doing it properly. No one was teaching you. No one showed you. You know, there's more information now. There's more, more things have come to light. There's different modalities, different ways to do it. There's different systems, programs, ceremonies, rituals, etc. Um, you know, so. Just like anything, right? I think that we, we we tend to think that oh, alcohol that's 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 bad, you know, it's bad stuff. Well, I it could it could be, it can be, it certainly is for a lot of people. A lot of people certainly use it as a as a, a self soothing coping mechanism to uh, you know feel like they are filling themselves with some kind of joy or satisfaction because that is associated with fun and partying and going out and being social and, and those kinds of things. And oftentimes in, in our culture, we, we overdo it and, uh, you know, especially in college, binge drink, that kind of stuff. So, oh man, I got to stay away from that stuff. That's, that's bad. Well, I, I, I don't stay away from alcohol. I, I have a drink every now and then. And uh, every every once in a while, I have a beer. And by every once in a while, I mean like maybe like once every month. You know, I have like once every month, maybe I have like a drink or two. Maybe a nice cocktail, you know. I'd, uh, I had a great one the other day, actually. I had a uh, a white peach Negroni. It's delicious. Really great. I used to work at this Italian restaurant and, and there was Italian cocktails and a groni we had grappa grappas be careful with that for sure you can you know really ernest hemming one of ernest hemingway's favorite drinks and uh we all know what that guy was about so it's uh, just an easy thing to grab hold of and and really over overuse right but i think just it's just it could be with anything i mean nicotine cannabis cannabis another one you know it's not necessarily uh, intrinsically, physically addictive, but uh, it can be. You can form an unhealthy relationship with it. Um, so I, I really do believe that um, all the things that we engage with in the world, no matter if they're people, plants, substances, material things, technology, if we. It's all about the relationship that we have with it, how we relate to it, how we interpret that. How are we using it? What are we getting out of it? What value is it providing to us? What value are we providing to it? Are we, are we serving it? Are we serving its agenda? Are we serving its incentive structure? And is it taking away from us? Or are we using it as a tool to assist us in our lives? And uh, I don't always use things in that way, but I think I'd like to think that for the majority of the time I, I, I try to, 
So with the antidepressants, um, going back to that, um, I, I really recommend Johan Hari's book, Lost Connections. I think it's one of the best books about depression, uh, and it's fantastic. And I did an episode right after I read it. I did kind of uh, The Real Causes of Depression, I think it's called, maybe like episode 86 or something like that, where I really dug into it and uh, talked a little bit about my personal experience as well. Well, maybe a lot of it. I took a Kalatapin and talked a lot of it. But, uh, but, but, so while it can be a, a, a maybe a, t- a temporary relief, maybe some people can get some help from it. If I think that these plant medicine, fungi allies, these alternatives can be way more beneficial. And as more and more research comes out on them, which is obviously needed to, you know, because that's the way that people need to have their information. Of course, all of us psychedelic people who have experienced the benefits know, you know, oh, new study finds LSD makes you feel better about your life. (laughs) Like, yeah. LSD mushrooms can help with depression. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know this, this these medications, right? Like I, I think I remember um, just having this thought one time about like, okay, so if you have like high cholesterol, okay, oh, you got high cholesterol. Oh, well, the doctor prescribed me Lipitor because I have high cholesterol. All right. So did he say anything about nutrition? Did he say anything about changing your diet? Did he say anything about uh, any of that stuff? Or, is he, or did he say, do that and take this? Well, I, I really am a firm believer in not... I guess what I want to say is that a lot of the Western medical model is take a thing to so that you don't have to really change your lifestyle uh and you can continue engaging in a similar way of being while you just have this this pill to uh do something to change the chemistry of your blood or your cells or your body or whatever and you can continue living the hey look everything's great we have a, we have a fix Hey, we fucked something up, but hey, no problem. You know, I remember when Charles Eisenstein was on this show, we had like a kind of a, a synchronistic moment because I was talking about how uh, I had mentioned something that he actually wrote about that I didn't know that he wrote about because I didn't read his book, Climate New Story. But it turns out we had like some parallel thinking. And I was like, yeah, it's just like we keep putting these band aids on bullet wounds and never examining the root cause. So we could just you know, totally ruin the planet and then just be like, no, we all have like, we'll just have like air filters and domes and look, we have bubble helmets that provide us with fresh air and we can breathe. So we don't need to actually change the destructive nature that is causing the problem. We just will put a a fix, a quote unquote fix to it. We'll just throw some duct tape on it. Uh... And so, and I think as, as people get older too, they have this thought, as I was mentioning before about like, well, those, you know, the psychedelia, ah, that's the party days. That's the stuff there. Oh, you got to be careful with that stuff, you know? 
And so the, the message here is just, just, just share information. Gently share the information. And so I was very happy to gently share the information with my parents. Kind of, you know, they had made a request. I said, yeah, come on in. Let's talk about it. And invited them in for a conversation. Sit around the, the campfire and let's share stories and tell, talk about things. Not, you know, screaming from a, a, a loudspeaker megaphone, you know, hey, you got you to gotta understand this. this is, these are the facts. You know, like a Ben Shapiro. Facts don't care about your feelings, okay? The facts are in, and they don't care about your feelings. The the you have to have feelings in order to also understand a lot of things. We're not as much as we'd like to think that we're these logical, rational beings. We're not. We're emotional, feeling creatures. Out of and of course, we're thinking, but when we get too caught up in that, it, it doesn't tell the full story, the data, the numbers, the stats, you know, what is that uh, Mark Twain quote where he says, there's lies, damned lies, and then statistics. You know, everything can be converted to the agenda that you want to promote. Everything can be twisted and, and manipulated uh, and cherry-picked to support the hypothesis that you're putting out there or the theory that you're wanting to find the evidence to support. So gently sharing information, you know, gently inviting in for conversation, for dialogue, for questions. And and it can be tough. I'll I'll admit it. You know, for for me, oftentimes, especially in the past, I'm getting better at this now. I'm getting better at listening and not thinking about what I'm going to say next or trying to jump down someone's throat with, uh, you know, pressing information because I know. Yeah, I might know, and someone else, you you listening, might have all of the. You might know a ton about something, but I think there's something that happens with, with people where they want to come to the discovery themselves. They want to, you know, I love music and I used to be so, I'm still into music, but I love discovering an artist and being like, yeah, this is just, I love this. Like I, it's, it's almost like I found them. I discovered them. You know, even though, of course, many other people are listening to them, but it's, it's different when you, you, you know, when you come to the decision, when you come to the, to the choice and when you can sit there or stand there or do a handstand there or squat and let the other person unfold, you know, watch their curiosity and the unfolding and and maybe it's not curious and unfolding. Maybe it's maybe they have harsh criticism or negative things to say. Maybe they're charged, right? And I think it's a real challenge to not fire back, but to allow it to sink in, maybe take a breath, right? And respond in a way that continuously keeps open the the allowing for the opening and the unfolding of this 
discovery session of dialogue and exchange of discourse to unfold and to expand, to literally create more space in yourself, in them, and between the two of you in this feedback loop that is occurring of uh, broadening perspectives and horizons. And not only will they learn something, but you'll learn something too. You will learn how to engage with people who are psychedelically naive, ignorant, uh, maybe hostile, aggressive, over-assertive, cocky, uh, brash, rude, judgmental, you know, these sorts of things. Um, and I think having been all those things myself, it's, easy to, it's easier for me to see them in others. I think that we all have, I'll tell you a quick story about that. I think we all have uh, <clears throat> this, this thing that happens, uh, at least this, this is what happens for me, is that when I see somebody engaging in a behavior or a way of speaking that I had also, or I at times engage in, sometimes I, I, I see that and I go, oh, that's, that's gross, that's ugh, ugh, that's terrible. Because I'm seeing this reflection, this mirror back, and I'm like, wow, okay, uh, I don't like that. So when I act like that, that's how it must seem to other people. They must be like, ugh. And so the little story is, first of all, never, never fly Spirit Airlines. Let me just put that out there. So I got back from, just got back from Costa Rica. I chose to fly Spirit Airlines, my girlfriend and I, because it was uh, very affordable, but uh, in the long run, not worth it. They are uh, the worst. And um, the plane on the way back from Fort, Fort Lauderdale, where we had a layover from Costa Rica, into Denver, the plane was hovering over Denver and couldn't land. They said it was due to weather, but I'm not really buying it. Because uh, they said it was due to weather the, the time that I was flying out to. And other people had made comments about, oh, this, they always say this stuff. And other planes were landing. And, and people were, and when we got to Denver, it was like beautiful. And so I didn't really understand. And so they're like, yeah, we're going to, we don't have enough gas to stay in the air. So uh, we're either, I love like the, the captain always comes on the plane like, Phew. Yes, uh, we're uh, just uh, on a holding pattern here above Denver. Uh, we're uh, circling around, but uh, we're going to run out of fuel pretty soon. So we're either going to uh, go do a uh, nosedive and into the ground and, and crash and turn into pancakes and go to the great beyond. Or we're going to uh, fill up with uh, some gas. So uh, we're going to see how it goes here, and uh, we'll update you in a couple of minutes. <laughs> Like, they're always so calm, like, yeah, this is your uh, captain speaking, heading into Denver now, and, uh, you know, we were uh, approaching the uh, landing strip, but uh, it looks like the engine just fell out of the plane, so uh, we're going to nosedive to our death. <laughs> anyway, so they, they, they were like, we got to go to get gas in Colorado Springs. So we went there, and uh, everybody was, like, livid. And there was this one guy on the plane who I think that if he had gone any further, they would have, you know, had like those air marshals or whatever come and arrest them or whatever. But he was loud, rude, 
you know, cursing up a storm. Yo, you need gay. I mean, some of the things he said were kind of like kind of funny, but it was just like, it was just annoying. Yo, you need gas money, bro. You need my debit card. Yo, yo, fuck you. Yo, let's get, what the fuck? Yeah, just a lot of fuck. Like, fuck this, fuck that. Well, you fucking motherfuckers. This is fucking bullshit. Fuck, let me off this fucking plane. Like, blah, blah. like people were fucking pissed. And this guy was definitely um, the, 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 the most annoying of the people that were pissed and the most outspoken and, and really just, you know, vile and, and wretched and cruel. And, uh, yeah, I was upset, you know, uh, my girlfriend was upset. We were upset. We we're like, ah, sh this is fucking annoying. And, um, but you know, we're all in it together. We're all on the same plane. People, as we were filling up, people were like, let's go, let's go. It's like, as if they were going to be like, oh yeah, we were just waiting for you to yell, let's go. And then, oh, that's exactly what we were waiting for is people to yell at us. Let's go. And then, oh yeah, then, oh, we'll go. Oh, let's go. Okay. Yeah, we'll go. So <laughs> it's like, yeah, this is an inconvenient situation. I'm not going to fly spirit again. Maybe I'll try and get a, I'll, I'll write to them, try and get a refund or something, but there's nothing that I can really do in this situation. You know, was yo, I'll fly the plane, bro. You need me to fly the plane. So it was just seeing this guy was like, reminded me of maybe how sometimes how I've been maybe like 15 years ago, I'd say probably, you know, my early 20, late teens, early twenties of this, like just like rude, caustic, you know, just really rude, cruel, vile, like kind of added nasty sort of attitude. And, but I feel like it almost like, like I was presented with a choice is like, it was like, all right, well, not really presented with a choice, but more just kind of like, I felt like it almost made me calmer because of the reflection, because of the like I was looking at that and like looking at his actions and, and what he was saying and his behavior and just like how grotesque and unappealing and annoying it was. And I'm like, Oh man, okay. Um, that's bad. <laughs> like that's not good. It really makes, it made me reflect a little bit on some of the times where I maybe lose my cool or say things that I shouldn't say. And it's like, okay, I, I, I see how unappealing that is now and how unproductive it is, and how it makes everybody else's experience worse. We're all on the same plane. It's inconveniencing all of us. You know, I, I understand, like, as soon as people, everyone was like, ah, oh, come on, ah, oh, this is bullshit. It's like, yeah, it's bullshit. Yeah, it sucks. What are we going to do? You know, I think it's a better use of our time is just to kind of, like, find out what's going on. What can we do? Not really anything. Okay, well, this is annoying. We're going to have to deal with it, and then we'll get to where we're going, and then we'll take care of it later by writing a, a letter of grievances or something, or trying to get a refund or whatever. But it's, uh, I think that if there is one, not one, but I would say that an important part of our world, especially our world today, as we're more connected than ever before, I think this guy was also like putting things on TikTok. Yo, I got you on TikTok, bro. He was calling one of the flight attendants, Mr. Rogers. I got you, Mr. Rogers. I got you, bro. Yo, I'm going to say that you tried to touch my dick. I'm going to fuck, you know, he was just saying all this crazy shit. It was really annoying. And just shitty things happen, right? But I think it's how we respond how we react, and how we communicate, collaborate, and associate with other people. 
And I think that communication is extremely important, critical, vital to the the new world that we're unfolding into, which is a world, a global world of connection. You know, prior to 1996, I would say, when the vast amount of Americans had America Online, and or maybe not the vast, but it was that was the internet was just starting to come on. People were going to check. Like, we have never been this connected before, and you know, it's like trying to have a conversation with everybody at a crazy party. You're not going to hear things right. You're going to misinterpret things. People are speaking different languages. You don't really understand. There's different lingo, jargon, different interpretations. So I think that this really a, a crucial piece. You know, I remember reading Marshall Rosenberg's Nonviolent Communication, which I should probably read again because I don't fucking remember anything uh, from it. He, I listened to the audiobook actually, and. Did he read the audiobook? I don't know. Someone read the audiobook with a very soothing voice that like put me to sleep every night. But uh but I I will go back to that because it's a good one. Really trying to understand someone else. I think and and really trying to communicate in a curious compassionate and open way to understand to really understand a lot of the times people say things that that's not what i meant i didn't mean i didn't mean it like that what i'm trying to say is this what i'm trying to say is that what i meant to say is this what i meant to say is that no you heard me wrong i you, you, that's not what i said i said this so how how can we do a better job of that uh, and I think it, it, it takes practice. It takes practice. Uh, it takes practice asking questions or when someone's talking, I don't understand. I'm sorry. I don't understand what you're saying. Uh, you know, but so many times people will just kind of go along or, uh-huh. Yeah. Oh yeah. Do you, you got it? Okay. Yeah. I got it. And then they'll get it because maybe they're too afraid to ask a question, right? They, they, they think that they know, they don't know. So there's a lot of tools. I think one of them is a good one is when having a, maybe a, a more serious or deeper conversation with somebody or something that's important to kind of verify with the other person. Hey, I said that uh, I don't like it when you hang my towel on the door uh, because it, it doesn't dry properly. Could you hang it on the rack, uh, you know, the, the hanger, the rack or whatever? rack, I don't know, hook thing. Um, yeah, that'll be better for me. Uh, you know, I appreciate that. Oh, okay. So, so what you're saying is that you don't want me to hang the towel on the, on the rack or the hook. Is that what you're saying? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that, uh, don't hang it on the side of the door, but you can hang it on the, on the rack. Oh, okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, and then they repeat, like, can you just repeat what I said just so I understand, I can understand, you understand? It might, it might sound cumbersome or, pa like, patronizing or something, but it's it's just a way of solidifying. We're both on the same page. You, you know, I am living a human experience here informed by the bias of it, of my experience. Like, it's different than yours. 
I see things in a different way. I interpret things in a different way. I think in a different way. Let me just make sure that I understand what you're saying. So you're saying to do this, right? Yes, that's right. Okay, great. You know, maybe it takes a little bit more time. And I think that that's another issue, right? That we, everybody's so excited now to get back to normal. And uh, I am not necessarily because uh, I think that a lot of the, what the normal was before the demic was not good. You know, things were not headed in a good direction anyway. And much of the pandemic had just uh, ex- exacerbated and uh, accelerated it in a direction that's not good. And, um, you know, I, I think that one of the biggest issues is the, the simple fact, this is, it's not too complex, actually. I think that oftentimes people want to make things seem like they're really difficult or complex, but this is actually pretty simple. Most people feel that they don't have enough time in the day and are rushing and are stressed and have anxiety and are depressed as well. And that is, you know, Anya uh, Katz, Katz, sorry, Anya, Anya Katz, uh, Millennials Guide to Saving the World podcast, wrote a great post uh, recently about how our nervous systems aren't built for this civilization that we're in. This, our nervous systems are not built for this quote-unquote modern society that we find ourselves in. We're not meant to handle the amount of data that we process through our human organisms. You know, all of the data that, that is coming into all of the, the sensory input points in our meat bodies, it's a lot. Whether we realize it or not, just the, the amount of scrolling, the amount of advertisements, the amount of voicemails, the amount of messages, the amount of texts, the amount of chat groups, the amount of posts, the amount of shows, whatever it is, the, 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 the rush to do bullshit work to try and make money so that we can pay for the things that we, so we can pay to live and eat and survive and and these kinds of things. It's a very challenging predicament. And I think a lot of people do okay coping with it. And they find various ways of self-soothing in order to manage the harsh conditions of our modern world, where we oftentimes feel overwhelmed by the noise that is out there. And it, it's, it's good and bad, right? Because we're connected, we can see each other, we can make new connections, we can make internet friends, we can have great conversations, relationships, we can learn all sorts of things. I was learning about Antarctica the other day. It was fascinating. Admiral Byrd's expedition in the 30s and all this stuff was great. And uh, at the same time, it, it, you know, it, just like the, the antidepressant, 
the civilizational model says, here's your, here's your uh, little reward for participating in our civilization game. And you get the material representation, the fake plastic tree, if you will, uh, for being a good citizen, worker, etc. But it's not the thing that we actually really want. It's not, it, it fills a temporary void. It soothes us to a point. And uh, just like the, the antidepressant, you know, we live in an antidepressant civilization. So our nervous systems aren't built for this. Anya's right. We're not made for this. Most people just don't have the time. I used to hear when I worked in sales, I used to hear, yeah, I just don't, we just don't have the bandwidth right now. <laughs> you know, um, that's a good excuse to, to not buy something. But, but it's something that, that maybe they don't need. And there's a lot of things that we don't need that we, that we have. I mean, the, think about all the, the things that we have that we just really, do you really need it? Could you not go on without it? Think about the best times of your life. Are they times when you got something? Oh, the best time of my life is when I, you know, purchased that Samsung 47-inch OLEDZXHD1080P360V TV. Or is it, no, the best moment of my life is when I was, you know, with my friends and we were camping and, you know, Bill said that thing and, oh, it was hilarious and, you know, that fire and the weed was great and the conversation was great and everyone was laughing. It was, man, it was a great time because you're connected with other human beings. You're sharing the experience of being alive here now. And there's just nothing that can replace that. There's no object that can replace that there's no monetary value that you can put on that that is what we truly want is to be deeply seen and heard by others to have deep connections to 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 experience what charles eisenstein uses tiknan han's phrase of interbeing to being really enmeshed in other people's lives really like we're all in the same boat here. We're, we're helping each other. We're living together. Yeah. And there's challenges. It's not like we're all holding hands in a commune singing, you know, a happy day all, all day. It's, but the, 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 the challenge, the struggle has its own reward with it. Right. I, there's, I was, when I was home in New York, I was watching some home videos with my family. It was a very healing journey to get back to what I started with. It was a very healing journey for me. And one of the things that stood out for me in the, in the home videos that we were watching from the nineties was that I, I, I grew up dead square in the middle, middle class, you know, average middle class. And uh, for every birthday, uh, you know, I, I remember ha seeing friends that would have these extravagant parties and things like that. But I had, I was allowed to have like seven or eight friends come over and my mom baked a cake. I remember, I think for one year she like 
baked a, a, a cake in the shape of a Ninja Turtle's face, and it, it, she made that. And we made those moments together with each other, the sharing of making things and being together. And my friends and I would play Manhunt, which is like a hide-and-go-seek kind of game at, at night. And you could hear the insects coming out in the, in the summer in August and the sun setting at 8.30, 9 o'clock. And my friends and I running around the na- my backyard, the neighbor's backyard, the woods, out. You know, my, my parents is there. You know, people, it was, there was nothing like, there was, there was no shiny packages or uh, extravagant locations. It was just friends at the home. My mom baked a cake and, and she would make crafts. She would design and make like party hats. You know, I'm like maybe six years old or seven years old or something like this, like Ninja Turtle party hats. And she made them from like old milk cartons and, and drawings and pictures that she found and stuff. And it, it was great. It was great. And as I got older, I didn't appreciate it as much because it was like, I don't know. It was, I was like, started to become like more embarrassed of my parents or, oh, I don't want that. Or, oh, just a couple friends over. I want to do this or I want to do that. Or my friends, for my friend's birthday, they're going to see Dave Matthews and I want to go. And <laughs> good. Uh, Dave Matthews. I drink too much. I eat too much. Too much. Yeah. Overconsumption. That's what I'm talking about, Dave. So it, it was really nice to reconnect with my family in a way that I haven't since maybe those, those times when I was, you know, under 13, I'd say probably, I think when I, when I, around 12, 13, I started to become like more of a jaded fucking angsty rebel kind of kid punk. But before then, I mean, it, it was just, it was simple, but it was great. It was really great. Going in and riding my bike to my friend's house and then we'd all ride bikes around for the, you know, my, the summer F, F for, you know, when school let out and we didn't really do, I, I didn't really do anything. It was just about, it was just messing around town, going to the local community pool, hanging out, making jokes, doing things maybe we're not supposed to, stealing a Playboy magazine from the convenience store, running into the woods, looking at it, hiding it in the, under some rocks and things like that, going to pool, you know, friends' houses to swim in the pool. We didn't, maybe, maybe once a year, I think uh, my family and I drove to Lake George in upstate New York. And we had each other. We had a great, experience with being with each other and the the also the boredom that there the challenges that come along with that and one one of the videos 
my mom was recording. You know, the, the great thing about the, the 90s, uh, whenever camcorders came out, I think it was kind of this new, it was a new technology. So maybe much like we'll, we'll look back at like selfies and things, but it was this new technology and people were excited to have a camcorder to capture the moments of life like they see on the TV. Wow. Now everyone can, you know, do that. And so a lot of these home videos are my mom or my dad walking around with a camcorder. Oh, who do we have here? Oh, it's uncle Joe. Hey, he's like, he like says, says, says something or like I'm at my uncle John, like, like, Oh, who's that up there on the ladder? They were cleaning, like fixing the house that my, my parents bought. And, um, I think this was like in the, this must've been in the early nineties. I think it was 91. And, uh, and my mom's like, oh, who do we have up there? And my uncle like like pulled his pants down, like moon the camera. It's like, oh, stop it, John. Oh, this, you know, like it, it. My dad and my th- three uncles helped f- fix the the house and and do a you know paint the house and do these things, and they did it together. And I think that making the like doing things like that it it does something different than just buying a house it's all done maybe you hire some people you do the thing but when you're actually participating in it with other people when you're you know working on something with with someone else that, that it creates a different kind of value for or appreciation for that thing there's a there's a a, a shared memory in that and then when you see them again you oh yeah remember that time that we were painting the house and you know john moon the camera yeah we have that on video oh okay we're gonna watch that in like 10 years or something and laugh or yeah well, all those beers that we got man i i'll never drink a rolling rock again whatever whatever it is oh yeah the 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 the, the paint it's like it's still there today well i think they painted over but the house is still there and they worked on it together so I, I, what I'm saying is that it, it means more. It has more, it has more, it has an impact on your being. But a lot of the problem that we have in our world today is that we think that we can solve everything with efficiency, with technology. Oh yeah, just get the thing prepackaged, ready to go, here it is. It, but it has, it has no meaning. It has no weight of memory to it it has no imprinting of of a shared experience to go along with it it's a hollow shallow material surface level thing yeah maybe it gets the job done but it doesn't if there's a different feeling that provide that, that you can be provided with and i think that's the feeling that we want the feeling that we want is the feeling to be with others and and going through the motions of living life and making the best of it and enjoying it. It's not about running around the world trying to collect the most amount of experiences or the most amount of photos on your travels so that you can hang them up like decorations on your shelf to say, look at what I've acquired. Look at what I've, look at what, look at my collection of life. 
Yeah. And there's, there's definitely memories that go along with like traveling and things like that. But I would say that for everybody who has done traveling, backpacking, something like that, it's, it's not necessarily about, you know, seeing the Taj Mahal, for example, which is like breathtaking, but about the, the journey there. How did you get there? What happened on the train? Who did you meet? Who are you with? What did you do after? What was the smell like in the air? Was the sun setting? Did it look different from when you, where you were at home? Was there a song playing? Maybe you listened to something that night or on the train. It's about those moments. And the, the, the real challenges. So one of these major problems that we face in our world today is that people do not have the time because they have to produce. They have to make money so that they can live and that they can do, that they can buy their way to fulfillment, that they can buy their way to a false sense, to a temporary sense of satisfaction or nourishment. And many people have talked about this. I'm not like the first person to talk about this. Chris Ryan's talked about this. Charles Eisenstein talks about this. Daniel Pinchuk talks about this. Other people talk about this a lot. Uh, Sebastian Younger in his book Tribe. Um, many, many people, Campbell, and, um, and, uh, recently I read a book by Tyson Namkapura. I believe that's how you say his name. It's called Sand Talk, How Indigenous Thinking Can Save the World. It was fantastic. I highly recommend it. Highly recommend it. So the, the, the squeeze, you know, the other thing is, Everything now is deferred to experts, quote-unquote experts. We don't know how to trust our own bodies anymore. We don't know how to trust, we don't know how to do things to take care of ourselves necessarily anymore. Most people, I'm just saying that the sort of the, civiliz- the Western civilizational antidepressant model, outsource everything, efficiency, right? Save time. You, you can't save time. There is no time. Time is now. And, uh, and so, because of that, people don't have space to explore who am I? Why am I here? What am I doing? Am I causing harm or am I doing good? Am I participating in things that perpetuate destruction, death, and harm? Or am I participating in things that help produce more life and growth and pleasure and beauty? Am I, you know, what's actually happening in the world? What are our leaders doing? Where is my tax money going? Where, oh, well, I read an article in the New York Times and they said it's going here. Oh, okay. But how do you really know? How do you really know? You, you don't have direct contact with the information that your environment is, 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 is sending to you and you don't understand it. You don't speak the language of it. You don't know the, the birds that are in your area, the trees, the, the soil, the, 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 like the, the, the patterns of 
of the seasons and the weather, the, the, the lunar cycles, the stars. You can't see them because of light pollution. It, you know, there's circadian rhythms all screwed up. You're staying out too late. You're not getting enough sleep. You're dehydrated. You're not eating good food. You're, you're eating processed food. You're, you're thinking you're getting, you know, good stuff, but it's all toxic. Whatever the case may be, we're disconnected. So we have diseases of the mind, of the body, of the soul, and then we yell at each other because it's easier to project onto the other uh, and put our problem. Hey, hey, it's your fault. It's this person's fault. It's these damn Republicans, these stupid leftists, these fucking idiot Q people. It's the it's the hippies. It's the spiritual materialist people. It's the cult leaders. It's the it's the, the big oil people, it's the banker, it's this, it's that's all us. I know that's weird to say, but it, it is. We're complicit. We allow it, and we participate in it. And most of the time, it's just because of ignorance. It's just because we don't have the time, or we don't make the time, we don't take the time. We don't say, you know what, I want to really learn about what's happening in my environment, in my landscape, in my world, in my town. What's going on in my town? That was another great thing about being home as well. As a kid, I was always kind of a little embarrassed by my mom. In my teenage years, I was especially embarrassed by her because she was protesting the construction of a mall that was being made close to our house. She would protest and write, you know, write to City Hall about the trucks that were driving down the road near us. Um, and she, you know, assisted in a political campaign. She was very outspoken and, um, you know, uh, ca- uh, caused a lot of, you know, shook, shook things up, made things uncomfortable for a lot of people in, in our local town. And kind of was known as like, oh, here she goes again, you know, kind of, and call, she would call the local radio station and talk about, you know, they tune into the town hall, attend the town hall meetings and these kinds of things. And uh, now <laughs> I got to say, I'm, I, I, I mean, she's a badass. Like, you know, we, it's, it's oftentimes easier to project, uh, to project our, our anger, our frustration, our, you know, onto some big other larger abstraction. Ah, the government. Ah, the corporations. Ah, the banks. Ah, the Republicans. Because it's far away. It's not here. It's not clear and present. And it's, you know, but if you really take an interest in, in what is happening in your area, in, at the local level, what's going on? What are the laws being passed? What are the things that they're doing? What are they spending on? What are they not spending on? Where's the money going? Who, what are people doing? And uh, I think that while the larger matters are of concern, that is a, a tendency, there's a tendency to, I don't know, maybe it's a way of... Uh, you know, engaging in some kind of slacktivism or something, you know, because it's like, hey, there's this big issue and we can't really do anything about it, but we're going to talk about it and we're going to rail about it and we're going to, you know, I feel like I'm doing something, but I'm not. And I'm guilty of this 100%. You know, I think that 
there's more may there there is definitely value in tuning into your local environment, your local town, your neighborhood. You know, neighborhood. What is that? What even is that? How many people know their neighbors, really know their neighbors? Do you know just one neighbor? Do you know two? Just the people that live next to you, across the street? Do you know all the people on the block? Whatever happened to things like that? Block parties, cookouts, uh, you know, invite, hey, and let's invite the neighbors for a backyard barbecue. You know, I, I don't know. I know two people, two houses on my street. I don't know one of my next door neighbors. I don't know them. I see them. I'll say hi, but I don't know them. I don't really know them. Oh, yeah, he was a quiet guy. He was always nice. You know, he waved. Next thing you know, he's shooting up a mall or a school. Well, what's, what's going on? Here we are all in our little boxes going about our business thinking everything is fine and dandy until someone snaps or someone loses it or someone's depressed and kills themselves or someone's, suf- someone's suffering. Someone on your, straight, on your street in your neighborhood right now is suffering. And the kind of world that we live in doesn't encourage or facilitate it to be, you know, to, to connect. So, you know, we have to do it. We have to do the uncomfortable task of uh, defying the societal norms. I remember, I actually remember Charles Eisenstein talked about this. I think he said something like he walked uh, to his neighbors and knocked on the door to introduce himself, but it was just met with such like a, a weird energy. Like people were like, well, who are you? Like, what do you want? Like, what are you doing? Or just like kind of apathy, just like, all right, yeah, cool. Like whatever. So it, it, it is a challenge, but I, I don't believe that it's impossible. And I think that it can be done. And I have to admit, I, after I'm done recording this podcast, I'm not about to walk outside and go ring my neighbor's door and say, hey, I'd, I'd love to get to know you. But I don't know. I'm definitely thinking about it. How, what, would there be a better way? Could I send them a, a letter? I don't, I don't know. Especially with the, you know, the vid just showing up on someone's doorstep. I mean... They're going to be like, what, 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 what are you doing here? Are you vaccinated? What do you want? <laughs> so we've created this hyper-individualistic consumer, ultra-heavy consumer abstraction of uh, a fake community and uh, with fake fulfillment, um, which leads to dis-ease, loneliness, and, and a lot of other ailments. And... Uh, and we don't know each other. We don't really know each other. We don't really hear each other. And it's, uh, it's, it's hard. It's hard to, uh, to go against the grain and to be the, the change that you want to see, right? As the famous quote goes. It's real. It's difficult. 
but it's not impossible. It's possible. And, uh, you know, it just takes some initiative. And it takes a, a willingness to fail and to be embarrassed and to um, feel really uncomfortable and to make decisions that are in alignment with your values and the, to have integrity and to really stand by it and mean it and not contribute to and participate in perpetuating the, 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 the mechanistic world, the machine model of this fake, uh, you know, false community. And, um, yeah, I think it, it's more about walking the walk than it is talking the talk, for sure. I think that there's value in kind of articulating this and, and, and putting it out there and expanding on these ideas and provoking some thoughts. But, yeah, I'd love to hear what you, what you guys think in, in, in terms of, uh, you know, some things that we could do or, or ways that we could make some, some minor changes and, and start, you know, and it's, I gotta, it's tough because like I said, the, the, the convenience, you know, the convenience, it's like, uh, we're in almost like a, a crisis of convenience. Everything is so convenient and, and you can have something delivered to your doorstep. Why would you get out in your car? Why would you go to the local place why not just get it from amazon what you know i don't know it's it's it really it's really challenging but i think that that's re that's really the only way to t to turn the ship away from the iceberg that we're hitting that we've maybe hit you know now it's about like hey like get with some people and get these get to these rafts <laughs> because you know, all the, the, the products and the marketing and the influencing and the, and the, you know, it, it, again, it's, it's difficult because, because there's, there is, there's value to be found everywhere, but it's just, again, how, how we relate to it, how we use it, how often we engage in it, what our relationship is to it. We're not, I don't think we're going to get rid of all of the mechanisms that, that, we in, that, that make our lives easier, that we enjoy, but uh, there are ways to, to go about altering some things, even if it's just one or two things. At least it's something, right? I don't know. Well, after uh, my my journey in New York, I uh, went to Costa Rica with my girlfriend. Uh, met her down there. She was learning how to surf in Santa Teresa, Costa Rica, where I've been before, and is uh, a great place. And again, also um, very gentrified. So it's, uh, I, I, we certainly had a great time and we enjoyed and, uh, and we had great food, but everywhere we ate was 
I assume, uh, a, you know, a Western-owned restaurant. Uh, it was not local Costa Rican food. It was, they were places that you would see that, like, you, you know, trendy, boho, chic, whatever the hell that means, uh, bohemian, trendy, flat-brim hat, wearing fucking you know uh, places that were just i mean they were good but it it was it, it, it definitely something definitely struck me after a couple of days of being there where i was just like this is weird like these are we're all westerners main like predominantly white people from the States, from Germany, from, you know, uh, other places, Sweden, France, whatever, uh, and um, Israel, and and we're all just kind of like here in this beautiful place that has been sort of built up to cater to us, uh, and... Yeah, like we would go want to like lay on a hammock at one of these like beach boutique beachfront hotels and get like a smoothie so we could like relax in a hammock, you know, and the servers are all like Costa Ricans and they have to wear masks and a lot of the Westerners are not. And, and I actually felt, I felt, uh, bad about it like i I want like if they're if they have to work these jobs so that they could live and survive because these places have come in and been built up to cater to westerners so that we can come and have fun vacations and relaxing adventures and surf and eat you know vegan cashew tofu fucking bruschetta or whatever uh, while drinking mango smoothies with mint on the swinging in a hammock I don't, I don't, there's, it just doesn't feel that great. So I was like, look, I, I'm, I'm going to fucking, I'm going to put my, like my mask on when I go into this place. Cause I don't want to be this like ins, in, insulting, rude, I'm coming into your, if, they, if they're forced to wear it by their business, I, you know, I'm sure that they, they probably, they probably would rather be breathing fresh air out of their nose and mouth. They would rather feel the wind directly hitting their lips and nostrils than have to have their face covered up the, the, the three holes in our head that allow us to live. Uh, then I, I put it on, uh, sort of in solidarity with them, even though, you know, it's annoying and whatever, but it's like, Hey, this is, this is weird. It was, it was weird didn't feel that right and then there's a part of me that's also like well in this kind of container or this game that we live in that the these people whoever have built these businesses they're costa rica definitely tourism is definitely its number one thing where people come and see their beautiful country and these people get jobs i guess and they get to make money and stuff and you know uh there's a lot of cool aesthetically pleasing really interesting architecture and design to a lot of these hotels and restaurants and things and 
it's it's like artistic and and cool and you know uh, unique and uh, but at the same time it's it's uh it, it, it there's also this strange feeling that's like this is weird like maybe we shouldn't be here like maybe maybe we shouldn't be here maybe this shouldn't exist i don't know but I, I definitely i definitely didn't feel great about it um which although like although it was also fun and nice so it's the it's it's difficult it's very difficult i don't know maybe i i i hope that there's I don't know. Some maybe there would be like initiatives that they they give back or or something. I don't know. But then again, it's like, do we even want the like this in the first place? I don't know. I'm very con, very conflicted about the whole thing. You know, I met people there that all these Westerners that are like, oh, we're gonna do like a cacao ceremony and ecstatic dance, and you know, we're 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 filling up our cup so that we can serve and and all this and. I was just like so triggered by it. I'm like, this is just insane. Like we come to this country that's not ours. We like set up shop here and then we like fulfill ourselves. And in, in, you know, just, just, I don't like people that like pretend that we're like saving the world or doing something because we're drinking cacao and dancing. Like let's, let's, let's do something. Uh, but, but then again, I don't know, maybe I'm, I don't know, maybe, maybe there is something to it as well. I, it just felt strange to me. It's like, don't, don't pretend that you're doing some great moral thing, you know, just say that you want to have fun and party, you know, maybe you don't like drinking alcohol and you want to drink cacao and you want to dance and you want to have some mushrooms. Cool. Like, let's just say that we're doing that and not say that we're doing anything bigger than that. You know, I don't know. We just want to feel good, right? Everybody just wants to feel good. And I think that that's, everybody has their ways, right? This showing Trump has said, everything can be converted to ego's use, even spirituality. So, <clears throat> so that's the, that's my update. And, um, I, uh, I'll probably have a podcast with author Bette Williams. She wrote a, a book called the Wild Kindness, a Psilocybin Odyssey. I think it's called that shit. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but uh, we, we connected and, 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 and the connection wasn't good. The Wi-Fi was going in and out. It was skipping. It was hard to communicate. So we're going to reschedule it. I'll have that coming out soon. I'm excited for new Dosedelics, which uh, I think will just be maybe a main staple of, of this podcast. I. I'm sort of changing a little bit where, you know, I, I don't know. There, there hasn't really been, how would you nail down what this podcast is? Sometimes it's personal stories and reflections and insights that I've had in these solo casts. Sometimes it's fucking stupid, angry rants. Sometimes it's funny, absurd, kind of sick, juvenile shit like with, with Dosedelic. And sometimes it's interviews or sometimes it's conversations with friends. 
Uh, I don't know. I just uh, don't think about this as a show or as a podcast. I think about this as a way to share what uh, share what I'm doing and thoughts and things with you guys, and uh, it's a form of communication. Um, and and uh, I don't want to be confined to any one thing. And so we'll see what happens if Dosedelic becomes its own show or if it just becomes this show. And uh, and we'll do that. It'll be Matt and I having fun, being silly little kids and making fart jokes and occasionally quoting Nietzsche. And then uh, and then we'll have conversations with people and interviews. It's, I mean, really, it's. I just want the show to be whatever whatever I'm feeling at the moment, you know. And and I remember like Sharon Salzberg, I think, had this quote about meditation. Like, what is what is meditation? What is? And she said something like, "It's just about sitting down and getting real." And uh, that's that's kind of like where where I've always been. And sometimes I've I've steered off course. I've been pulled out of my out of alignment with what I really believe or what I feel is really truly authentic. And and uh, I hope to always just sit down and get real. And whatever's whatever I'm interested in and whatever uh, is real for me and authentic for me and and, and whatever uh, people that I want to talk to and stuff. That's that's what the show is. And um, like I said, sometimes it's going to be like these dosedelic episodes that are sort of, you know, off the rails, wild, crazy, inappropriate, offensive, vile, juvenile, disgusting, absurd, you know, stuff like that. Hopefully they're entertaining. I've, I've really have been having a, a hell of a time recording them. I feel really liberated and free. I feel really in alignment with who I am as a person and and uh, who I am as a person, who I am as a dinosaur, and 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 then you know, there's this aspect of my personality where I'm sitting down and it's more serious, and it's the solo cast. Then there's the the other one. So I uh, I'm not uh, a singular, one-dimensional entity, and neither are you. And I think that in the two-dimensional virtual model of existence that we often participate in, the social media, internet world. That, that it's it's hard to really represent the totality of who you are and who we are and, and the various degrees uh, that we are, uh, whether you're, you're, you're funny or you're, you're heady or smart or silly or uh, stern or compassionate and soft. Or maybe you're all those things. You, you, you know, you're not just one thing. You're not just two. Or three. I certainly know that I'm not. So I try and reflect that in what I do. And I try and share that with you guys. I hope you guys enjoy it. I hope you get something out of it. I, I, I would love... Well, I guess a dream of mine would be to just do this live and have you guys all there. Maybe it's me doing this and like 30 people in the, in the room. And then we can open it up and we can all participate. And what... what it, what did I say that sparked something within you? Did anything, you know, did anything come to your mind? Did you feel uh, called to to speak to me about something or ask questions about something or meet other people? Right. I mean, that's the kind of thing that I really want to bring forth. And then with the Dosedelic show, it's I just want to have fun. I just want to be crazy and wild and silly and and free and and not worry about like, oh, can I say this or say that or whatever? Oh, blah blah blah. Not like I really ever worried about that, but it's a different kind of show, and I'm kind of 
playing a character, sort of. I'm kind of uh, like a very heightened version of myself, similar to how I was when I was doing stand-up. Even though I was just kind of just getting into it, I would see the the other comedians that were really in the game longer than me and how they did it. And it's like they were just they're just a heightened version of themselves, right? Like I think Larry David on Curb Your Enthusiasm says, like this is a heightened version of myself. These are all the things that I don't say, but wish I would say. The things that go through my head. It's like we need a space for that. We need a space where we can truly open up and give ourselves permission to really be the totality of who we are as uh, the multifaceted beings that we are. And uh, which leads me to, I am doing a, a men's retreat called Permission with Bill Burns and Max Marshausen. Both have been on the show. We recorded a podcast together. That'll also be out soon. So stay tuned for that. And that's really my, what I'm bringing to that is uh, that element of really uh, just letting it all go, really just letting it all go, just being totally all, uh, oh, I can't say that. Don't no, say it. Oh, I can't feel it. I can't express it. No, do it. You know, uh, and uh, we're going to have 40 acres of land and you could scream at the top of your lungs. You can run a million miles. It's going to be so much space. It's going to be so much fun. And, uh, and, and it's going to be healing. I've definitely experienced a lot of healing and I've definitely experienced a lot of healing from just going home and visiting my family and getting to see my nieces, my nephew, you know, my, my parents, um, my, my newborn nephew, um, my brothers. Uh, I just uh, had a, a great time connecting with the people and the places that, that, you know, the, 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 the place where I grew up, where I'm from, who I share blood with and common, uh, you know, maybe not common like ideas or philosophies, but there's a, there's, there's a shared sense of, of humanity there. And, um, I really appreciated it and I felt it was very healing and, um, yeah. And now uh, being back in, in Denver, it feels good to be home and it feels good to get moving on a lot of things that I want to, that I want to do. And um, yeah, that'll, that'll do it. Also, uh, of course, sheath underwear, Mike Delic, 20% off. They're great. Kava, we got a Kava sponsorship. I love, I actually love this stuff. Uh, Ohana Kava bar, check the link. Get this stuff. You're going to love it. I, I think it's great. I actually took the Kava uh, extract capsules with me that they make. They have such a cool design. What a cool company. Uh, thank you, Ohana Kava Bar, for sending me all that amazing stuff. I took the Kava capsules with me, and uh, I would you know take a capsule every now and then, and it's just, it was just great, just like really relaxed and in an elevated mood, and it's a really nice uh, medicine. I, I, really, I really like Kava a lot, and uh, so happy to have Ohana Kava Bar and uh, Mushroom Revival as well. Check them out. Link in the description. You're going to save stuff uh, if you're interested. Check it out. More podcasts to come. I'm going to be recording two episodes with Matt of Dosadelic coming up. We put one out that is on YouTube. It's called Woking at the CIA. <laughs> uh, so it's not on uh, iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever, but it's on YouTube. So you can check that out on my YouTube channel. And um, yeah, links in the description. And uh, yeah, um, let me know what you thought of this episode. Of course, if you want to help this show grow, um, leave a five-star rating and review. That always helps. And consider joining the Patreon as well. 
Yeah, I guess before I get out of here, I'll just say I've been doing this show now. It's been exactly five years. And, uh, you know, I guess I, I don't... It's been challenging, I think, you uh, know, for me in a way of trying to do the thing that I really enjoy doing the most while also just being able to have a, a, a nice uh, life or like, you know, or survive, I would say, actually. I don't currently make enough money to survive solely off of this. So I, I do other things and, um, but I appreciate everybody that helps make a contribution to keeping me uh, afloat. Um, but it has been a challenge and, uh, you know, many people out there have ways and methods and strategies and, and things, and maybe there's some good things in there to consider, but I've, I've personally never felt, um, again, it's very difficult for me because I don't feel that this is a show. Uh, I don't feel that this, I, I, it feels difficult for me to self-promote to say, hey, for example, this episode, hey, check out this episode, guys, this is great, like, you're gonna love, I, it's very difficult for me to do that, because uh, I, I, I don't, I don't know uh, why, necessarily, um, maybe it's just because the way that I feel about it is, hey, I got some stuff to say, if you want to check it out and listen, cool, if not, whatever, um, you know, I'm not selling a product here. I'm not trying to like, uh, Im improve your life or whatever. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, it's not, this isn't like a, it's not like a fitness show or a health show or a psychedelic show really even uh, where it's like information and you're, you're getting information and you're, you're, you know, learning and whatever. I, I don't know. It's just, it's been very difficult for me to figure out ways to figure out ways that feel really real, authentic, and genuine, uh, in order to get the show in front of more people or get more people, uh, to tune into the show. Although I will say that I feel confident that if, uh, the show was exposed to a wider audience of people that more people would tune in. And if more people do tune in, then I could, uh, you know, support myself in this, in this career that I, I want to have, uh, because it's not, uh, currently, I would say, uh, my career. It is like a passion project that helps support me um with a little extra cash on the side here and there and uh um you know i mean i guess the sponsors help right like if you need underwear and shit you, you just try sheath and you get a 20 percent thing and um the kava like it's good stuff i i really only want to talk I, I will i will only talk about good stuff um, but I, I guess a lot of this podcast also is really personal. You know, who the hell am I? I don't know. I'm just a dude who's trying to communicate my human experience and the things that I've learned and see and share it. And uh, I don't know, maybe I, I can put things in a way that uh, is easily understandable or relatable. And I've gotten a lot of nice messages in the past that say things like that. So I don't know. 
I just want to see more people happy and connected and fulfilled. And I want to have more fun and I want the world to be a place of more fun and love and uh, less suffering and pain. And uh, that's uh, really all I want. Um, everything else is just some sprinkles and a cherry on top. Uh, so much love to all you guys. Appreciate you. And uh, please reach out to me. I, I love hearing from you. All right. The next time you'll hear me will probably be a completely different tone, but we're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to get silly with some Dosedelics coming out. Look forward to it. Peace. <laughs>